Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. And first and foremost, it is Christmas morning. And if you're up and listening to this broadcast, let me be one of the very first to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Now, look, Christmas morning, it's always a very special time. And if you're lucky enough to be a parent, you already know that this this day, this morning, is a wondrous event for your kids. And when it comes, <laughs> let's get right into this, when it comes to marvelous gifts, how about that thrilling World Cup championship match between Argentina and France? Now, as, as most of you know, if you're a longtime listener to the show, you know I'm not exactly a devout soccer fan. But I have to tell you, that game was the essence of tense action, complete with the drama of a miraculous comeback by France, taut, taut action down the stretch, and then, with the entire world watching, Messi and his teammates won the trophy. i, I got to tell you, even though I, I, I wasn't a rooting fan for either team, but as a sports fan, it was just impossible to to turn away and to not be engaged in, in the, the action on the pitch. And I assume the, the folks at FIFA, well, let's be honest here, they couldn't have scripted a better ending to the World Cup. I mean, it was really that good. Now, the next question, of course, is will the, the momentum keep going for the next few years until the next World Cup tournament, which will be hosted by, yes, the United States, Canada, and Mexico? I mean, that's that's going to be the ultimate challenge. We saw the American men's team. Obviously, they were young, but they, they basically did pretty well. And, of course, we'll have to wait and see what happens down the road as to how they improve with the passage of time and if they add any more talented young players to their squad. But in terms of soccer in the United States, I really couldn't imagine a better marketing tool for the sport I mean, it just seemed that every, every media outlet in America was glued to the tournament. Uh, and personally, you know, I, I got to tell you, it was, it was impressive to watch. And I just, again, uh, I just wish Major League Baseball was paying attention, observing, and taking notes on how to try and grow our national pastime to the younger generations. Because clearly, soccer was, uh, you know, right there, everybody to see and watch and to take part in the excitement. Okay. Now, speaking of kids, on this morning's show, I I thought this would be the perfect time to spend this hour talking about what every sports parent needs to know about and what they need to pay attention to with their child when they are learning about youth sports and beyond. Truth is, 
There are a number of items to, to check off your sports parenting list, and today we're going to review them in sort of a chronological order from the time your kid first starts playing sports as a youngster to the through middle school, travel teams, club teams, high school, and beyond. I know we cover these topics a lot on the show and have for many years, but I've never done this checklist before. So bear with me because I do think this, this kind of overview is critically important, and I'm hoping that, that parents will pay attention as I go through these various issues along the way. Now, again, the purpose of this, this early morning talk is to outline and to propose. It's based, quite frankly, on my 30 years of sports parenting so-called expertise, but I'm the first to admit that I don't have all the answers, and the truth is I don't think anyone does. All right. Let's go back in our time time machine. Sports parenting has gone from being almost non-existent in the 1950s and 1960s to today, where it's a highly competitive industry of more than $20 billion being spent annually. Again, more than $20 billion, and some sources put it at 30 or $40 billion. Point is, sports parenting is an industry which continues to grow and grow, and yes, in many cases, it just has spiraled out of control. Again, going back to when I was a kid a long time ago, the only time I can ever recall my dad coming to watch me play in a youth league game was in a baseball game when I was in fifth grade. As I recall, my dad sat up on the hill with a few other fathers and, of course, myself and my, my buddies who played in the game. During the course of the uh, the affair, there was no shouting or screaming or even applause. I do recall from that one game, which I recall, I recall very little about it, I do recall I remember I hit a triple off a, off a decent pitcher in the fifth grade. But I also recall when the game was over. <laughs> my dad and I, we got back in the family car and uh, we went home. I was happy. My dad was happy. There was no uh, analysis or feedback or talk about what I could have done better to improve my game. We just enjoyed the moment. It was a nice sunny day, and I thought I had played well, and he was happy to see me play. But again, that's probably the only time my dad ever saw me play in a youth league game. Uh, I think he then started to see me a little bit uh, when his schedule permitted, because obviously he was broadcasting games on the weekends. But he saw me play some high school football and basketball and some baseball. But again, that was in high school. Youth leagues? No. There was no parents just didn't parents were doing other things back in the day. They were doing their own sports, their own activities, but they sure as heck weren't focused on, on their kids playing sports. Kids were supposed to go out and have fun and enjoy themselves. And for the most part, <laughs> I think that's what we did. Okay, fast forward to today. And I will tell you that there was a very sobering article that ran just a couple of weeks ago in the Washington Post. Roman Stubbs, who was a terrific journalist for the Washington Post, he wrote a, a wonderful piece about the economic and psychological hardships that middle-class families in America have to go through when it comes to letting their kids pursue their dreams in sports. And, and those of you who have kids who are playing travel or club sports, you already know what I'm talking about. The various fees to register, to play on the team, to pay for equipment, to pay for the hotels and food and gas on the, on the stays at the various tournaments on the road, going to the tournaments, and on and on. The, 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 it just adds up dramatically. 
And estimates usually run into not just hundreds, but into several thousands of dollars for each sports season. And if you have more than one kid who is playing sports, well, you know the, co- the costs just become staggering. Friends, it's all very simple. And I have to tell you, I know I sound like a, like a broken record about this, but I keep coming back to it. Without any federal or state oversight, the folks who run travel and club teams can charge whatever they want. And if you as a sports parent, well, if you can't afford those fees for your kid, well, I'm afraid that leads to a most distressing situation because you're basically forced to explain to your youngster that you don't have enough money for them to pursue their dreams in their sport. Now, as you know, I have argued for years, but what we really need is to have a commissioner or a few sports in this country to, to basically, you know, to oversee all of this. In a country as wealthy as ours, we really need to do something because it's just becoming a situation of the haves versus the have-nots. We know that youth sports are becoming only more structured, more formalized, more corporate, more expensive. And with all the sport sponsorship money floating around, I always ask the question, why can't we find a way to help out those middle-class families so that all the kids, all American kids who have dreams of playing sports and who want to continue at a competitive level, we can make sure the money gets down so that the fees are just drastically reduced. Now, again, let me be clear about this. I'm not trying to stop the entrepreneurial ways of club and travel coaches. Look, they're entitled to make money. I mean, we live in a capitalist society. I get that. But I'm just trying to speak up on behalf of all those sports parents who are forced to make really difficult choices when it comes to their kids and sports and and having enough money left over to pay the monthly rent because that's what it's boiling down to. I mean, think back to when you were a youngster growing up. Chances are that you or your parents never had to worry about whether they could afford to have you play youth sports. It just wasn't a concern. Why? <laughs> because the sports you were playing weren't very expensive. But these days, it doesn't make any difference what sport your kid wants to play. At some point, you're going to wake up one morning and look at and say, you know, it's costing me and my family real money. And mind you, having your youngster make an elite club or travel or high school team does not guarantee that he or she will ever get an athletic scholarship for college because no travel or club team ever gives those kind of ironclad guarantees. I mean, the lure is that if you come and play for our uh, advanced travel or club squad, then, yeah, maybe you'll get the on the radar screen of coaches and whatever, but there's no guarantee that just because you're on that team, you're going to be uh, you're going to make uh, uh, eventually earn a college scholarship. It just doesn't work that way. It, and that's that's the problem. That's there in a nutshell. And again, we'll go through all this in a few minutes. But again, travel and club teams work these days is that they basically build upon the fear that if your kid will have pretty much zero chance to ever play sports in college, ever get an athletic scholarship, ever have a chance to turn pro if your youngster doesn't play on a travel or club team. And that's what it boils down to. Nobody, again, there are no guarantees in sports in terms of scholarships. But again, if you think your kid is on the fast track, you have to sort of keep that in mind that this is, this is a business. This is a business that these travel and club teams run. And by the way, friends, I'm not trying to, to basically paint a, a, to, a totally negative picture of club and travel teams. There are a lot of them that are quite well run and are very upfront and very honest about this, that, whatever. 
But again, you have to do your homework as a parent before you decide you're going to basically spend a lot of money to put your own kid on a travel squad. I wish there were other solutions these days, but that's how our youth sports situation has evolved. But again, I'm getting ahead of a, of a ahead of my my checklist here. Let's go back. Your kid is five or six years old, and he or she decides that they want to play sports, organize sports, whatever it might be, at, you know, at the local grassroots level. Well, the first thing I would ask you to do as a sports parent, which makes a lot of sense, is just go and make sure your kid has a an, a checkup, a physical checkup, a thorough one with your pediatrician. Ask the doctor if your kid is in good health. Uh, are there any concerns that uh, he or she should be aware of uh, in terms of your child? Um, make sure that, that they have any concerns, for example, in terms of, of running around, uh, their lung strength, that they have any concerns with perhaps asthma. Now, again, this kind of physical checkup with the pediatrician may sound very simple, but i got to tell you, it's extraordinarily important. Let's make sure your kid is healthy before they decide, okay, these are the sports I want to try out for. Speaking of which, next point on the checklist. Your kid's five or six. They don't know what sports are are or how many sports there are to choose from. So as a sports parent, you want to let them try out for as many sports as they want. They can try out soccer, softball, ice hockey, uh, cross country, whatever they want to try. At least they have an opportunity to experiment, and that's the key word here, to experiment and determine for themselves what sport or sports they'd like to to play. Again, they're five or six years old. They don't know anything about sports yet. And again, it's not about the sports that you played as a kid. It's about your child's childhood. It's their right to decide what they want to pursue. So again, these are the kind of things you should start starting out when your kid's starting. Yeah, I know, of course, we all have dreams and hopes and thoughts that maybe our kid is going to be a great athlete. But you got to start them off the right way so that sports is perceived for them as fun, as enjoyment, as something they look forward to. And that's, that's how it all begins. Because if a kid doesn't have that passion to play sports, well, <clears throat> you got to sort of say to yourself, maybe this kid is not going to end up being an athlete because they don't have that inner passion. But to basically fan the flames for, to play sports, they got to try out and see what else, all the sports that are out there. And then it's like a smorgasbord. Let them go around and see for themselves what they want to try. Okay, what sport or sports they want to play if it's a team versus individual? Now, again, individual sports like tennis, golf, swimming, gymnastics, uh, these sports tend to skew much earlier since these athletes tend to peach much at a much younger age. But remember, these sports demand tremendous amounts of time. The kids have to learn early on if they make mistakes or errors that causes them to fail. Well, you know, that's... That's, that's, got, that's something they have to sort of, sort of deal with. What happens to them once adolescence sets in and has an impact on their size and, and shape? I often basically tell parents of kids who focus on one sport that it might make a little sense to allow their child to obviously try other sports along the way just in case they decide to switch from one sport to another, especially if it's an individual sport. I mean, everybody knows about Tiger Woods who was on TV when he was two or three years old and he could drive a golf ball. Hence, the earlier a kid specializes, the better. That's what a lot of parents think. But the truth is, there are a lot more kids like, like a Matt Turner, the goalie for the men's national soccer team, who was really focused and locked in on basketball and baseball growing up, and then found out when he was 14 that his best sport was going to be soccer. He didn't even play soccer until he was 14. 
So keep that in mind as your little one progresses up the ladder because there are thousands of examples of top pro athletes who never had to specialize and never had to decide at an early age about specializing in one sport. I mean, that is, these guys and gals were so athletically gifted from an early age, they could play any sport they wanted, and they often did. You want some examples? Again, there are thousands of them. Steve Young, the, the great Hall of Fame quarterback from the NFL, he was a star pitcher and basketball player at Greenwich High School in Connecticut. Larry Walker, the Hall of Fame outfielder, was a terrific ice hockey goalie in Canada when he was a kid. He didn't specialize. Kenny Lofton, the superstar basketball player at the University of Arizona back in the day, he played for years in the big leagues as an outfielder. Deion Sanders, of course, he played in both the NFL and Major League Baseball at the same time. Same with Bo Jackson. The list goes on. So be be careful about specialization and trying to put your kid onto one track before it's too soon. All right, let me take a pause here. Uh, obviously, I have a lot more to cover here on this morning's show. Uh, I hopefully, uh, you know, you'll find some of these thoughts and comments to be insightful, make you think a little bit. Let me take that time out. When I return, I'll continue with my checklist. Stay with me. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, back here on the Sports Edge this morning, I'm going through a sort of a checklist for sports parents. Uh, and we're trying to do this sort of from the earliest ages right up through, you know, middle school, travel teams into high school and college. Uh, a lot of ground to cover, but I, I do think this is uh, critically important. And I'm taking this morning to talk about these issues. Now, we just talked earlier in the first segment about about specialization concerns and having had a chance to expose your kid to a variety of sports when they're five or six because they have to first understand what, what sports are available to them. And you have to decide as a parent, does it make sense for them to specialize in just one sport? Because as I mentioned, there are countless examples of top professional athletes over the years who didn't specialize in one sport. And quite frankly, it didn't hurt them at all. In fact, uh, they want to be very, very successful. However, there are those sports, particularly like swimming, gymnastics, maybe even ice skating, and several others, where the truth is, and we can't deny this, the, the, the earlier they begin to develop those skills, the, the better it's going to help them. All I would caution you is if you're going to put your kids into learning how to ice skate or how to swim or, or be a gymnast or whatever it might be at an early age, just understand that quite frankly, 
it's it's sort of on you to make sure they know there were other sports they could play if they wanted to, and let them try out those sports as well. Just be very, very careful not to in any way push your child or to over uh, indulge them in just one sport. I really believe that the kids need to know that, okay, I really like to play, uh, I like to swim or I like to skate, but I also want to do other things as well. I like to try soccer, I like to try, you know, softball, whatever it might be. I think that's the most prudent approach. And then you can monitor as an adult, uh, as a caring parent, to see how your child is adapting to those sports as he or she, you know, goes up uh, in age. All right. What about this? Your kid is now trying out various sports as a youngster, and then you say, well, you know what, Dad, Mom, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I want to quit. All right, let me, let me be very clear about quitting and commitment. My sense is, but until a kid is like eight or nine, if they've gone through a few weeks of practice and they're on a team, I don't care what sport it is, and they come to you and they say, you know, I, I don't like this as much as I think I like other sports. I think, is it okay for me to stop playing this sport? In effect, they're asking you for, to your permission to quit that team. Well, to my sense of thinking, you're at such an early age, again, up until the age of eight or nine, yeah, you can just sit down with your youngster and say, look, let's talk about this because if you really feel that you don't want to do soccer anymore and you want to do something else, that's fine. What you want to do, though, is sort of begin to build the sense of the word commitment and build that concept into your child's vocabulary. Because you, sh- you go with the, yourself, with, the, with, the, uh, with your youngster, you go to the team coach and you say, you know, um, thank you so much for letting me be in this team. I really enjoy myself, but the fact is uh, I don't think this is where I want to basically keep pursuing. And um, I think that's an important lesson. You go with your child. Again, nobody expects a 7- or 8- or 9-year-old to be able to be that articulate, but you want to be there to let the coach know that you are very sincere about the fact that uh, you thank him or her for their time, but you think your kid is going to basically be leaving the squad. Again, we're talking about here doing the right thing for a kid who's so young, they don't understand what it means to make a commitment to a team or to uh, keep playing the sport they want to do. What's the, what's, what if you do if you say, no, you got to keep playing? Well, your kid's just not going to be very happy, and the kid's not going to be uh, happy probably with any sport because now they're they basically are being, quote-unquote, punished to keep playing the sport they don't want to do. However... The word commitment. By the time the kid is 10, and by then you want them to understand the, the concept of commitment, that, you know, you are on a team and you have teammates and you have a coach. And, and the fact of the matter is you're going to have to sort of explain to them that you have made this commitment. And a commitment means exactly what it means. You, you have to basically stay with the team for the entire season. If the season comes and ends, then the, the kid can say, okay, dad, mom, I really don't want to do this anymore. And then you talk to the coach and the season's over. But during the season, and this is a life lesson, this is a basic parenting lesson 101, you got to sit down with your kid and say, but when they're 10 or older, you made a commitment here, you, which means you made a personal promise to the team, to your teammates, to the coach, that you will be here for every practice and every game, and you're going to put real effort into this. So again, I would say, and again, there's no hard and fast rule in this, but I would say by the time they're 10, they should be old enough to cognitively understand that they made a promise to be in this team and what that promise means, and they have to be held accountable to live up to that promise. Okay? All right, number, next thing. Before I forget, time management. Look, with young kids, 
And if, mom and dad, if you think your days are busy now, just imagine how busy you're going to be if your kid or kids are playing on travel teams. I mean, I, <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience, uh, my wife and I were blessed uh, with three kids. And our oldest, uh, our son John, I mean, when he was in middle school, he was playing for the school's soccer team. He was playing for ice hockey travel program. The program ran from Labor Day right through the fall, the winter, right to the spring to Memorial Day. A lot of, lot of tournaments on the weekends. He played on the school baseball team. And, of course, yes, he had homework to do as well. And he had other, other extracurricular activities. He liked to play in the band and so on and so forth. And on top of that, John had two younger sisters who also liked playing sports. I got to tell you, my wife and I, it was, it was a rugged time because we basically had to sit down every week, and you will too if you haven't confronted us already. You got to sit down with your spouse and plot out the family priorities on a calendar and who is going to do what on each day of the week. Otherwise, you're just going to be, you're going to be overwhelmed with all the various things and kids are doing, have to do in terms of practices and, and away games and so on and so forth. And I'm, I got to tell you, this may be the biggest issue that sports parents face today, the, the, the essence of time management. You've got to really sit down and map it out and get a big calendar and have plenty of space and put it on the calendar, what days your kids are practicing, what sports, who's going to be chauffeuring them to the games, because obviously kids can't drive. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's going to be tough. And, um, yeah, I mean, this, is, this takes real advanced planning. And, uh, you know, they're going to be obviously – Unexpected situations along the way, you know, kids do get sick, uh, parents do get sick, uh, there are going to be changes in the calendar schedule, but you got to make sure you're always in contact well in advance uh, with your team, the kids, coaches, if there's going to be a problem with a, a family, your family's going on vacation, or some, or your kid's sick, and so on and so forth, but communication is always the key, the coaches always want to know uh, you know, what's happening if, if your youngster is going to be late or can't make a practice or a game and so on and so forth. Don't tell them the day of the game. Tell them at least a couple of weeks in advance and obviously do it via email so there's a permanent record of it. Or if you have to text them, that's fine, but let them know so coaches can make adjustments. All right. Speaking of all this, because now you're going to be in the fury of all this, the question is what is, what is the overall goal you want for your child playing sports? I mean, Think about that, and that takes a little time to think through because we all want our kids to enjoy themselves playing sports. We know that. That's a basic. But we also want them to gain those, and you've heard this over and over again over the years, the so-called intangibles that come from playing sports, uh, being on a, on a team or le- learning to trust one's teammates, mastering skills along the way, athletic skills, and how that builds to one's sense of self-confidence. And, of course, learning how to cope with adversity. Then, you know, these are skills that you may not necessarily get, your kid may not get in other classes in school because these are the so-called precious principles of playing sports that we all want our kids to have because they are incredibly important life lesson skills. As I said, you know, being on a team, learning how to to master certain skills as they get better and better in their sports, which helps and reinforce their sense of confidence, coping with, uh, you know, things don't go in their way. Again, these are what we want our kids to do. And you, as the parent, you should always be there to basically make sure these, these principles, these, these lifelong skills are in the background for your youngster. And, and by the way, let me also say this. 
Yeah, as a sports parent, you're going to have to explain the concept of, of good sportsmanship to your child because you can never assume that anyone else will. I mean, that sounds hard to believe because you say, well, the kid's on a, on a, on a team and plays with his friends and the coach. Yeah, but there's no guarantee that the coach is ever going to sit down and explain to your youngster what it means to be a gracious winner when they win and also to be, just as importantly, a gracious loser. You know, this is, this is, these are parenting skills. And the sooner you explain it to your kid when they're seven, eight, nine years old, yeah, they, they, they're not going to like it when they lose. There'll be tears involved. And that's understandable. Kids have never experienced losing before. So you have to sit down in a quiet moment and say, here's the, here's the essence of sports. <laughs> you know, the fact is that if you don't uh, understand that you, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, the fact is that's what the sports are all about. And that's what I think you have to basically take some time with your youngster and probably have to come back to it a couple of times as they're growing up to explain that this is what happens. You're not looking for them to make excuses when they lose. No alibis. That's not acceptable. They have to be sort of learned as a young age to be say, well, this day was not our day, and we have to basically tip our hat to our opponent. They were better today than we were. Does it make explain to your child? Doesn't it's not a slight on them. It's just that that's the way sports are. Teams win, teams lose. Sometimes you tie, but you have to understand that sportsmanship is part of the process. Okay, I mentioned adversity. Okay, look. It's important to explain to a youngster about what, it, what you have to learn from a defeat or a setback. If they lose, and maybe they made a crucial error or, or did something wrong that cost the, their team uh, that victory. All right, well, you're going to basically be supportive to your youngster. Give them a hug. You don't have to say much. Again, tears, especially at the young ages, are to be, um, to be accepted and understood. You don't try to poo-poo them and say, oh, stop crying, it's not that big deal. No, for the kid, it's a big deal. In their universe, this is a big deal, and it stings. Let the sting sink in for a day. You have to be supportive. You have to give them a hug, be a supportive, you know, unconditional love for your, for your kid. But the day so after is when you can sit down with your kid and start talking about, let me tell you about the, the gift of adversity and what you can unlearn. The best thing is you can learn from what you didn't do well in that game the other day. And, you know, if you think about it, how you can improve upon trying to uh, get better, uh, to that doesn't happen again. But that conversation doesn't happen for, again, at least 24 hours. And you got to do it at a time when your kid is, um, is basically quiet and has moved on from the sting of that game. I mean, you're going to have to explain to them that this is, this is the essence of how the best athletes get better. They accept the fact that, yeah, they lost. They didn't play well. They, 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 whatever they did, they're now going to say, okay, what can I do? What's the takeaway? What can I learn from that, that setback that will make me better for the next time I play? And I have to tell you, friends, this is one of the most important lessons that any parent can basically give to a child. And you can call it the gift of adversity because they're going to learn more from losing than they are from winning. And now that sounds kind of goofy because it sounds like, well, if we're winning, we're all doing great. But as you go through up that ladder of athletic competition, you understand that there's going to be, you know, the best athletes learn how to adjust and they make adjustments because of adversity. And that's, that's as simple as that. And by the way, friends, this also happens with, uh, with kids learning about coming back from injuries. They have to understand that injuries are, in fact, part of pretty much every sport. 
and it's going to be difficult for them to adjust that they can't go out and play with their teammates or friends or compete in an individual competition, but that they will get better from their their injury and just a matter of time. And during that time, they can focus on other parts of their, their game, their, their sport, in which to improve. All right, let me, let me take another time out. We're talking about this checklist of what every parent needs to know as their, their kid begins to ascend the world of competitive athletics. Uh, let me take a pause. When I return, I'll continue. Stay with me. Merry Christmas and welcome back to the Sports Edge. And again, you can always, as you guys know, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ask Coach Wolf, and you can find me on my website where you can reach out to me with questions or comments or, or anything at all. And that's uh, my website is askcoachwolf.com. Uh, we're talking this morning about a checklist of what every sports parent needs to bear in mind as their youngster begins to continue to compete uh, in sports. And, I, you know, we were talking about adversity. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't often talk about my own sense of adversity, but I will tell you that, that every, every athlete has gone through some, some setback, some defeat, some adversity, some personal adversity in their career. And that's something that's such an important lesson for, for all parents to know so when your kid does go through it, that they're, they're prepared to handle it. I mean, I can tell you, I mean, all sorts of adversity in my own career. Um, when I was in college, <laughs> I mean, uh, and back in my day, uh, freshmen were not allowed to play on the varsity in college. But I was a, a terrific high school baseball player at Edgemont High School, set all their records in baseball and in football. I was very, very lucky, very fortunate to play for some great coaches. And I was good, no question about it. But anyhow, so I was recruited by a number of schools. I was also a pretty good student in the classroom. But as a freshman at, the Harvard, at Harvard, I played on the, freshman, on the freshman team, started at second base, hit 300, batted third, as I recalled. I was feeling pretty good about myself. But when I got to the varsity my sophomore year, well, the varsity second baseman uh, was a year ahead of me in school, and he happened to be the All-Ivy League second baseman the year, that year before. So the coach didn't see any reason to put me in the lineup. So I sat on the bench, and I rarely played. But I was very unhappy. I wanted to play. Who wouldn't? If you're a good athlete and had good numbers, you want to compete. But that wasn't going to happen. So I found, around, I found that there was a league called the Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League, uh, Summer College Baseball League, and uh, I played there. And quite frankly, that's where I got better and better and got better at hitting and everything else. And um, it was during the ACBL, during those summer leagues, because I didn't play much in college, that the, the baseball scouts, you know, saw me pay and they saw what I could do. They really didn't care that I didn't play much in college. All they wanted to do was evaluate me as a, as a baseball player with some potential. Turned out that they, they liked my speed. They, they saw I could field. They knew I could hit. And that was a smart ball player. So after my junior year at Harvard, I was drafted by the Detroit Tigers and I signed. And then <laughs> at the following year's spring training down in Lakeland, Florida, I was even playing in some major league exhibition games. I mean, you can imagine what a thrill that was. I mean, a year before, I wasn't playing in college, and yet when I got down to uh, spring training with the Tigers, no one ever asked me if I played much in college ball because it, it wasn't relevant because they could see for themselves that I had some, some tools as a ball player. In any event, once the, my, my first minor league season began uh, that April, I was playing in Anderson, South Carolina in uh, was, what was known then as the Western Carolinas League. Well, my very first at-bat as a pro player was against a pitcher for, for the Atlanta Braves uh, farm team out of Greenwood, South Carolina, a kid named Frank LaCourt. 
Corbin was a pretty good pitcher. But even more amazingly is I, I laced a solid triple to right center in my first at bat. I'm thinking to myself, that's not a bad way to start my professional baseball career. As it turned out, Frank LaCourt, again, great arm. He went on to have a pretty long, a long-term career in the big leagues for several teams, including the Braves. And then during that year in, in the uh, Western Carolina League, and I played against guys like Willie Randolph and Mike Hargrove, uh, John Candelaria, Tom Underwood, Lafayette Currents, Mitchell Page, and lots of other guys who went on to become the big leagues. But back then, we were all just kids in a Class A ball trying to survive. In any event, I held my own against those guys. And looking back, I'm sure glad I began to accept and understand that the adversity of being a kid on the bench in college I didn't allow that to get in the way of my dreams. And I got to tell you, that's always, that lesson has always stayed with me, and I've tried to express those, those feelings about adversity and how you can overcome and persevere to other you know, young athletes as well, including my own children. Okay. Um, you heard me talk about the PGA, not the Professional Golfer Association, but I'm talking about the post-game analysis. Look, all parents do this. The fact is, it's the worst thing you can probably do to a young kid who is playing sports and trying to do the best they can. It normally happens, the PGA, this post-game analysis, usually happens in the car on the way home from the game, and the parent doesn't know what to say, so the kid's in the front seat and and is feeling kind of glum or just staring out, whatever. The the parent says, well, you know what, I'm just going to go through a quick rundown of what my youngster needs to improve upon in the game, so the next time, uh, he can make those changes. And I want to do it now while the, the previous game, the game he or she just played in, it's still fresh in their head. Friends, trust me, you can't do that. It's just silly. It, it doesn't work. And if anything, it only drives your kid away from the sport and, and away from wanting to listen to you. The PGA should never take place after a game. Again, that's where, especially I mentioned before, the kid is going through a difficult game you're there to be supportive, and you want to basically just tell, find things that they did well in the game, and they didn't do much in the game. Find things like, gee, you really, uh, I like the way you hustled hard, you know, uh, in, in the uh, during the game, or I like the fact that you were giving your teammates a pat in the back, or you were cheering for them. Find something positive to say, because at least you want to let them know that you got their back, and you're watching them and appreciating what they're doing. Effort is always the key one. I used to tell my kids. I mean, you know, all kids go through ups and downs in games, but you want to make sure that you say to them, look, you can't control what's going to happen in terms of the game. You can't control what's, what's going to win, who's going to lose, and you can't control how much playing time you get because that's up to the coach. But what you can control is how much of an effort you put into playing in that, that game. And if you put in real effort, and that's noticeable to me on the stands, I'm sure it's noticeable to the other parents and to other the coaches as well, because effort is the one thing you can control in a game, and you got to make sure you do it. Okay, going back to the PGA. Forget doing the PGA. Just stop doing that. It doesn't work, and again, it has real negative consequences. A better approach, and again, you've heard me say this for many years, is to offer your kid a praise sandwich. But the praise sandwich, it's very simple to do it, but you got to give it some thought, and you want to do it a day after their last game, and you want to find a quiet time in which they can basically 
uh, you know, sit down with you in a, in, in a moment when they are just maybe, before, you know, a few minutes before they go to bed at night, whatever, but it's, it's got to be where they're not being inundated with television or homework or phone calls. It's a quiet moment. Let's take an example. All right, so let's say your kid is a, um, is a, a basketball player or, you know, is 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, and you, you noticed that the game that your kid does seem to be have an ability to, to score, uh, gets a ball in the hoop. Um, but again, they're not polished, they're not professional at this point, or even top in being in high school. They're just a kid who's turning the game of basketball. But you also notice that the kid tends to take most of the shots for their team. So you could just say something like this to your son or daughter. You know, I got to tell you, um, it's pretty obvious to me, and I'm sure to you, that you're really developing into a pretty good scorer uh, in basketball. And that's, that's just terrific. Now, right away, by leading into a praise sandwich, you're giving your youngster a slice of, of real positive feedback. And I have yet to meet a kid who doesn't like getting real praise. All right? They love that. They, they are attuned to that. They, they just respond in a very, very wonderful way. So now that you got your kid's attention, you said, you, you know, you're tending to a pretty good score. It's pretty evident. Then you give them that little slice of constructive criticism, and you don't have to hammer this home. It doesn't have to be a thick slice. Just give them a thought in the head and say, you know, i got to tell you, if you found a way to perhaps, you know, learn how to scour the floor and find the occasional, make the occasional pass to an open teammate, and now you basically have said to the kid, like, you know, you could probably expand your game to other aspects, well, then you give them that final slice of, of, uh, of, of praise and say, if you could learn that, learn how to dish the ball to open teammates, well, then you'd be the, a total and complete offensive player. So that's a praise sandwich. It took all less than 30 seconds, but you put the thought in your kid's head that they've already got talent as a scorer, but now if they can find a way to either pass the ball to other teammates when they're open, not, of course, you know that the kid's going to be uh, this is a way for the kid to develop their game in, in a wholesome way. And I think that that does work in a big way. And I think that's something that kids, you'll find, they listen because they've listened to the positive praise. They don't have to say anything back to you. They're just going to say, well, thanks, Dad, or thanks, Mom, and you go from there. All right, let me take a moment here because I do want to go through some pertinent statistics. Whenever I do, uh, uh, you know, sports parenting presentations, and I've done you know, countless ones over the years. I always like to give the audience some some fundamental uh, and pertinent stats about kids in sports because they are relevant. Number one, the reality is, and you've heard this from all sorts of, uh, you know, articles and, and, and documentaries over the years and for me as well. The reality is that according to the Michigan State uh, Institute of Youth Sports, something like 74% of all young athletes who will quit playing organized sports by the age of 13. That means three out of four kids who are playing sports under 13 are going to basically stop. Now, by that age, by the time they're 13, they have now gotten to the point where, quite frankly, they've developed uh, their voice, they have their own sort of developing identity, and they look around and they can see cognitively that, you know, Mom, Dad, I'm really just not that good at sports. Uh, I don't enjoy it that much to want to stay with it you know, through, through middle school and into travel teams into high school. Other kids just say, you know, I'm just going to migrate away from sports to other extracurricular activities, whether it's, you know, playing a musical instrument or they want to be in theater in school, whatever it might be. 
That's fine. There's nothing wrong with kids leaving sports on their own. As, as, as a parent, you just need to be sure to sit down with your youngster and ask them why they want to, to leave playing sports. Because, again, it's not that they're 6 or they're 10. By the time they're 13, they, they have an idea of what they're developing their own dreams. Just make sure they can articulate to you why they want to, to quit. Again, the numbers are, haven't changed over the years. It's still three out of four kids quit by, by 13. Stat number two. 90%, and this is important, 90% of kids between the ages of 6 and 12 say they would prefer to play on a losing team than sit on the bench of a winning team and play rarely. Well, you think about that, there's no real surprise here. <clears throat> kids are fundamentally understand that it's a lot more fun to play in the games, even on a losing team, than to be a bench warmer and watch their teammates play on a winning team. And I, I think this is so so fundamental. And yet parents and youth coaches in particular don't seem to understand this, that the fun, the fun is in the actual playing. And kids feel that if they are allowed to play more in the games, well, if I'm allowed to play more, then the kid, the team has a better chance of winning. That's how kids perceive all this. But again, I just wish more youth coaches were less focused on winning all the time <clears throat> and more focused on letting all the kids have a chance to play and play and not. Not just during the times when the games are, scores are lopsided, but rather when the games are active and everybody rotates in and plays a lot. That's the whole idea. There was a long, one long-range study a few years ago that suggested that star athletes at the age of eight did not necessarily remain stars by the time 10 years passed and they were 18. In fact, only about a quarter, 25%, were still the kids who were the top athletes. There's lots of reasons for this. Adolescence in particular changes kids in terms of sizes and shape. Sometimes they have a lack of a desire. They get distracted by other things. Other kids catch up to them in terms of athletic ability and so on. Point is, I'm trying to make here is that this stat, this shows that most kids who were athletic standouts at age eight are not necessarily stars 10 years later. And again, another stat. One study, and again, this won't come as a surprise to you, said kids between the ages of 6 and 12 said they prefer, 50% preferred their kids said they would not want to have mom and dad watch their games. Let me go through it again. 50% of the kids between the ages 6 and 12 said they would ask that mom and dad not come and watch them perform. Why? Probably because the kids were fearful of having to undergo a, a PGA on the way home after the game. Oh, they don't like mom and dad screaming and yelling at them during the course of the game. Think about that, mom and dad. Simple as that. And finally, going on to the high school level, college level, perhaps this may be the most important statistic, which parents still don't seem to want to either accept or they feel that it doesn't apply to their golden child. And this comes from the, the NCAA, that less than 4% of all high school varsity athletes are ever going to be good enough to make a college team, whether at the Division One, Division Two, or Division Three level. That means, let me repeat that so it sinks in because it's so important. That means, according to the NCAA, that more than 90%, only 6%, 96% of today's high school athletes, varsity athletes, well, they're going to be done 
playing sports by the time they play their last game in high school for their high school team, their varsity team. So the odds are so stacked against your kid ever going on to play in college, they may play club sports in college, but they're not going to play on the varsity team. And I again, I know as a sports parent myself, you always have hopes and prayers and aspirations for your kid to be good enough to play at the next level, but this is the stats are, are evident. It's overwhelming. It's not 50%. It's not 75%. It's more than 96% are not going to be good enough to play at the next level. Okay, friends, I'm afraid I'm out of time on my my Christmas morning show, but that's my overview checklist. Obviously, there are other things I like to talk about as well, but for right now, that's where I have to stop. I will definitely post the show on my website and on WFAN.com just in case you want to go back and take some notes. But that's it for me. My thanks this morning to Ed Arzuman and to Pete Hoffman. And, of course, I wish you all... A very Merry Christmas and to your family. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 